Hello everyone, welcome to Cricket with an Accent. This is Sakhe Bali hosting the show. And today, uh, we are still recovering from what an amazing match that was played at Sydney uh, less than 48 hours ago between India and Australia. Uh, the series is coming to a climax. Uh, it's one all. It couldn't have been more even coming in and helping me break down uh, Sydney and preview Brisbane is a, a very well-known voice from Cricket Twitter. Uh, so I have an absolute joy of uh, welcoming Abhishek Mukherjee. Welcome to the show, Abhishek. Hi, Shakim. It's a privilege to be on your show. No, it's not that big a show. So uh, it's a privilege is all mine. But uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of what's going on, uh, a lot of people follow you on Twitter. I see you are a cricket historian, cricket writer. You work for the Wisden India Almanac. You also co-author of a book. So why don't you give... Uh, uh, a mini introduction to folks who may not know about the book and some of your uh, work in cricket. Uh, regarding my work, I used to be the chief editor at Cricket Country. And after that, I had a stint with the Wisden India Almanac. That was a fun experience. And I've uh, freelanced for several sites. My interest is largely in the history of the sport. Uh, the book... Uh, Sachin and Azhar at Cape Town, I have co-authored with Arunava Shengupta. So this was about the partnership between Tendulkar and Azharuddin in 1990s. I mean, uh, this was probably, I mean, this is probably a right time to, uh, the one of the better times to talk about this because we have already, we are already coming fresh off one all-time great partnership and now we are in, an, I mean, the book is about another. That one came in a defeat, but it was one of the most exhilarating demonstrations of stroke play. So over two hours, over 200 runs scored in 40 overs and against a world-class attack just like this one. So okay. very different partnerships in nature, but world-class partnerships nevertheless. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting when the book comes out. So for the listeners here, uh, do you know uh, when does a book come out in different geographies? I know there's a UK version that's on pre-order, then maybe sometime later it yes. can reach the US markets. It's supposed to hit the UK. Uh, it's supposed to come out in the UK in, uh, in January, US, uh, Australia and Canada at roughly the same time. India... Kindle is available for pre-order. India hard copy may take some time. We're trying to get it released by then. Let's see. Sure. So we'll definitely, I mean, uh, I'll definitely like to have you back once I read the book and then maybe I can pick your brain, you know, about the book because I think that'll be a fantastic uh, journey down the memory lane. And hopefully some of the listeners here would also like to know more about the book. Uh, but right now, you know, this episode is dedicated to what happened and what's going to happen in the next few days. So a lot to unpack. I know with your association of the game as an analyst, historian, as a fan, where does this kind of a match rank? I mean, uh, saving a test match is almost a foregone, is almost a forgotten art because the way the game is moving, we may not be too far from a four-day test match, say, in like a few years from now. So to save a test match on a day five pitch, when Pujara got out, I mean, I was not a believer, and especially when uh, Hanuma Vihari is playing with an injured, in, uh, he sustained an injury, and Ravi Ashwin really hasn't scored like, or, or stayed in the pitch for that long. So break it down, you know, what happened then, and, and where do you rank this in your viewing of, you know, 
Indian cricket and or even world cricket? Where does this rank in terms of excitement? And uh, <clears throat> yes, it's a broad question. So tackle it, you know, uh, in your own way, which which makes the most sense. <clears throat> no, really, I have ne- I can't remember anything like this. Uh, because when it comes to match saving partnerships, we talk about people who are um, who depend on technique. But here, their technique was hampered because of the injuries. Uh, <clears throat> Riyari's injury was visible on the field. Ashwin's week he got to know only later that he too was injured. So, uh, and. Let us not forget that Pant was also injured. I, I, I've never heard anything like this. Three batsmen, all injured in contrasting styles, played over 100 balls on the last day on a pitch like this. See, Pant has been forever criticized for playing too aggressively. They, call, they have said he doesn't have test match temperament. He takes too many risks. His wicket keeping has been criticized. And then he was playing with an injured elbow. He had problems gripping the bottles of water at drinks intervals and everything. So now um, he came out, comes out at what 112 for three, and then takes charge. He starts hitting. He just counterattacks. And by the time, I mean, uh, the only uh, let's be honest here. At stumps on day four, most Indian fans expected that India were going to lose. Some hoped India may to save the match. But by the time Pant got out, a chunk of these the same fans were actually counting on India to chase down 407. And a section, I mean, some of them, eminent voices, actually criticized the middle order for not going for the win. So that was the kind of difference Pant made. Let us not forget that this was not a random brash innings. He lasted over 100 balls. So he played his part as well. He was promoted up the order. That was another great move. Uh, India wanted to. India didn't want to go into a shell from the very beginning, and he did did brilliantly. Regarding Vihari, uh, this one. Uh, I mean, he pulled a hamstring. So you know how difficult it is to stretch your leg with that. I do not know how he kept playing forward for three hours against an attack. That allows almost no margin for error. He was brilliant. This is this has to be his best innings. And same with Ashwin. Uh, Ashwin's injury, as I mentioned, we were not aware until after the match, or maybe very late in the day. Such was his back pain that he apparently could not bend to tie his shoelaces. So, so they kept. I mean, he couldn't bend. So basically, they bounced at him, but ducking was not an option for him. Three hours he batted like that. And we saw how short the Australians kept bowling. And let's not forget Pujara. We take Pujara's long innings for granted. His hand injury, he had picked up a hand injury as well. That got buried among the many large-scale injuries. But he too played really well. He just got an excellent ball. I read an, read an article the past couple of days somewhere. It says, uh, Pujara keeps getting these unplayable balls because of the fact that he lasts this long. He, I, f- I keep forgetting where I read this. I think it's a manga article. So, uh, I read that too. Oh, has to. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So if you keep keep surviving the very good balls, then 
the good to very good balls over a long period time, at some point you'll have an unplayable one. No, absolutely. And you know, I'm 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 a Pujara I mean fan. I shouldn't be, but you know, I'll admit I'm not a journalist. So but here, I mean, we will bring Pujara into the into the conversation because the, I have a set agenda, which is kind of uh, uh, tackling you know some of these big uh, questions or reviews that we need to do for this test match, and I'll definitely uh, bring Pujara into the play. Uh, so Abhishek, uh, this partnership here uh, is old school test batting, right? You know, you and I, and you know, people even older than us, or so the same generation, saw a lot of this happen with Gavaskar, and then it went on to the Dravid era. Now, you know, you don't get to see this kind of a test match. So, is this a good poster? I know, like, it's cliche. Uh, not for test cricket, but is this a good poster for a young uh, cricketer somewhere who may not, you know, have the attacking mindset? I mean, uh, what, where is this going to sit in the folklore of Indian cricket? I mean, I'm trying to romanticize it a little bit, but I think there is some nostalgic value attached to it, if, the way I'm seeing it. No, no, this has to rank very high. See, um, See, uh, I have heard, uh, there have been partnerships. The Dravid and Lakshman have played at least two. And uh, then Tendulkar and Azhar, as I mentioned. Then, I mean, there have been plenty of mem memorable partnerships. India have chased down 406. India have, then the Tendulkar-Yuvraj partnership when in India chased down 387. There have been plenty of partnerships. But with both batsmen injured, and having to hang around for three for the last three hours of a test match, I don't think there's any parallel. I don't think there's any parallel in world cricket. I mean, um, just this this may not be the. I I I, uh, I don't know whether to say this is the greatest ever partnership because uh, I mean, you see. The runs will obviously not tell the story if you are talk, talking about saving a match. The minutes batted is not. I mean, they didn't. They batted for three hours. There have been longer partnerships than that, but it was also about the physical conditions they were both in. I mean, this probably doesn't have a peer in world cricket. I can think of only one greater example of valor from the. Ellis Park test of 1953. Laurie Miller was hit around the heart. Bert Sutcliffe was hit on the head. Both of them had to be hospitalized. Both of them came back on the same day to bat. And then Bob Blair, whose fiance had died in back in New Zealand the previous day, had confined himself to a hotel room. And when he heard that wickets were falling, he took a taxi to arrive at the ground. So all of them batted. And that is probably as... This is probably the only one that surpasses the last day of the Sydney match in terms of sheer, I don't know, valor? Can I use hmm. the word? Maybe. No, absolutely, yeah. No, look, uh, I understand there's always this talk about, you know, adding adjectives and cliches, but I mean, sometimes you can't help it because, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's their job to play cricket, and but, you know, you have to, uh, how do I say it? There was some adversity, like, you know, the number of injuries you mentioned, even Pujara coming in with the nickel and then losing uh, Jadeja midway of the test match, right? This is becoming a feature. Every test India is, mm -hmm. you know, losing someone during uh, during play. So that also, I think, uh, makes certain adjustments and, you know, how a captain is going to marshal his uh, team because, uh, you know, Jadeja was part of this team 
because you know he lends a stability. He's a proper all-rounder. He can get you overs. He can get you quality runs. He's a wonderful fielder. So let's talk about how Rahane handled the situation because uh, it's a team effort. But uh, what did you learn about his captaincy in these two back-to-back -back matches, and especially in this one where? I guess uh, the going was against India, at least. Uh, it was Australia test match to lose. That's how Aussies will remember this. And India, you know, saved this one. So, talk about Rahane, the captain, uh, through the lens of Sydney test. See, uh, Rahane, uh, uh, in Melbourne, India were under a lot of pressure. But Rahane went in, uh, I don't know whether it was Rahane's decision or Shastri's, the team management went in with five bowlers. That immediately uh, sent a message what India were trying to do. They were not going to, they were going to hit back after, not hit back, I mean, uh, as in they were always going to hit back, but they were not going to play defensive cricket. So they went in with five bowlers. That is not something very easy to do, that kind of risk. You you backed Jadeja's batting abilities, wanted him to be that number six or seven. So Pant at six. Pant uh, is a fantastic uh, batsman, but he but number six is new to him. Jadeja at number seven, Ashwin at number eight, and three tail end, proper tail enders. So this is a this was a massive risk they took. He got. Ashwin to bowl, I think, in the 11th or 12th over. Jadeja to bowl inside the first 20. They were the third and fourth bowlers ahead of Siraj. So he was going all out. I mean, he was bringing, he was playing his main cards first up. First up. He was there. He was aggressive. He, um, while batting, he, sir, he had a <clears throat> slow start, but he, got dropped, I think, twice or thrice, but he made his 100 count. And once India were in the advantage, he just pushed that advantage home. He rotated his goal as well. And now in Sydney, I think uh, India did very well to come back from conceding the lead. Uh, Australia, uh, I, I think two incidents to uh, Rahane, see, at Sydney, Rahane didn't score a lot of runs. But, uh, yeah, the team, after the Melbourne test, after even after conceding the first innings deficit, I thought uh, the team did pretty well to turn around. One thing about Rahane I noticed was the moment Siraj received that racist comment, Rahane went up to him. I mean, they had, rather Siraj went up to Rahane, he put an arm around him, he calmed him down. And then India simply did not play after that until the matter was resolved. So that is something I cannot recall an Indian captain do on field. I know Bedi had uh, asked his batsman to come off at Sahiwal in 1978, but that was against umpiring decisions. Same with Gavaskar at Melbourne in 1981. But again, this was a protest against an umpiring decision. Against racism, an Indian captain uh, Holding up play un until the matter is resolved. No, I, I, I don't think that has ever happened before. So, yes, uh, he took a stance. He took an unprecedented stance. 
I, I was surprised to see Pant bat at uh, three at the fall of you know Rohan's wicket, and that to me again you know the famous word that's being used these days intent that showed they're going for the chase. That's how I saw it. I don't know if you saw it any differently. And then Pant had a slightly slow start, but then there's a method to his madness, like Sehwag. Uh, mm-hmm. He plays his shots. I mean that's the way he plays the cricket. Same for Rohit Sharma. Two dismissals, uh, you know, were. Part of like how Rohit Sharma usually plays, the cotton bowl was, you know, uh, again, you know, it could have gone India's way if he had scored more. Uh, but uh, let's focus on Pant's batting here and Pant's promotion. Uh, that showed, like, despite losing uh, himself early in the morning, they were pretty confident that they'll make a run for it. And that, to me, was very positive yes. captaincy. Not playing for a draw. Yes, yes, absolutely. And Pant is someone who need, needs that long run. Pant has never scored under 20 or maybe even 25 on Australian soil and he has batted I think 10 times here. So he has never actually failed in Australia. He has got a, a big 100 and a 97. I mean 97 happened after the promotion of course. But he has this tremendous record in Australia. So and it is his brand of cricket that has got him the run. So, if you are going to go for the chase, see, Rohit's shot, everything, a lot of people have criticized him. But it was also evident that India had not given up on the idea of chasing. India were going for the chase. And Pant's promotion was part of that. So, uh, Pant... I think I have I have always backed Pant the batsman. I mean, uh, Pant we have seen in IPL. He had he already had a tremendous record when he came to Test cricket. The second ball he faced in his career he hit for a six. So that was when he announced that okay, this is going to be different. And in his third Test, India were completely down and out. They were chasing at the over, and then Rahul and Pant added a huge partnership, and suddenly by T. Half of India started believing that India might be winning this test match. So Pant keep and in the next two innings, Pant got 90s and then he went to Australia. Pant needed that backing. And then after an ordinary tour of West Indies, he got dropped when the others got runs at home. So Pant, the idea of playing Pant as a specialist batsman, India are somehow not comfortable with that. But I feel he's good enough to be there. And Rahane. By pushing him at number five, gave him that backing, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's very important. So, let me ask you this question. I'm sure you've answered it in some form because that's been a debate for the last year in Indian cricket. Where do you sit in the Pant versus Saha debate? Saha is arguably one of the, easily the best glove men in the business. But then with Pant, yeah. you get the added batting, you get the you know ability to even tinker with the lineup because he's a proper batsman. So, where do you sit with that? Uh, you think that's an overseas versus India argument? Or you think Pant is good enough to seal the deal? I have friends who think, you know, you need to be a proper glove man and Pant, you know, his technique behind the wickets is not clean. So, where is it? what's your take? See, I think the problem would have been solved if Pant could not keep wickets at all. It's as if Pant's wicket-keeping abilities are a hindrance to a place in the city. See, what if Pant was not a wicket-keeper? Would then there would there have been arguments against him playing? Because he is good enough to play as a batsman. So 
I really, I have never figured out this argument. And I, unless the tail is really, really, really long, which is likely to be the case in Brisbane, the best wicketkeeper should always play. This is something I believe. And Pant is among the top four middle order batsmen of this 11. With Kohli out, he's among the top three batsmen. So I really don't understand the clash. At Brisbane, again, it may be different because Jadeja is out. I'm not sure about Ashwin. And uh, I don't know. I mean, Shardul Thakur is the only tailender who can bat. And I think he has a first-class average of around 16. So, uh, if that is the if that is the benchmark, then I, I can't see Shaha playing in Brisbane. Because India can't go in with five. I mean, oh, if Shardul bats at eight, then you can't have Shaha batting at seven. So, but un, uh, unless the tail is really long, then Saha should definitely play. And Pant obviously makes it as a batsman, as I said. I don't know why they do not play, play both of them. See, Dhoni and Karthik played together. England have played Butler and Bairstow together. Even uh, Butler, Bairstow and Fox together. Hmm. Now, Wade and Payne, we can see are playing for Australia. Decock and Klassen played in India last year. Blundell's open batting for New Zealand and Watling keeps wickets. Sri Lanka seem to have three, four wicket keepers in this test side all the time. So, India can also do that. I mean, I can't see why India cannot do this. So, which way, if you were making the call again, by the time the podcast is released, we may actually know the 11. But which way, if you were, say, you know, in charge of the selection, uh, and of course, you know, it's slim pickings because, you know, a lot of there's a big injury list. Uh, what changes will you make for Brisbane? Okay. Mm, say, Jadeja and Bumrah are ruled out. That's confirmed. Now, Pant and Ashwin are not confirmed yet. Even Mayank has picked up an injury. Now, I really don't know who will be fit. But assuming Pant, Ashwin and Mayank are all fit. So, I, shall, I will first stick to the set, uh, same set of five batsmen. That is for sure. Uh, Rohit, Gil, Pujara, Rahane. Oh no, we have lost Vihari as well. So, <laughs> oh, this is, this okay. is these are unprecedented <laughs> okay. times. I mean. So, wait, wait. So, it'll have to be Mayank probably. If Mayank is not there, then Shaw. I, th- I don't think anyone else is left. Yeah, I think Shaw gets and in then, by default. Yeah. Uh, if Pant is fit, then, then Pant plays. And if Pant is not fit, then Saha plays. Uh, now uh, the bowlers, the three, the two seamers are there. Shardul will be the third seamer if Ashwin. It's most more or less a default team, you know. If Ashwin is fit, then Ashwin plays. If not, then Kuldeep. I mean, there's not much to choose here. Yeah. And now the question is, who will replace Jadeja? Playing. Uh, see, here is my problem. The tail becomes too long if even Ashwin does not play. As I mentioned, Shardul is not a number eight batsman, and uh, Saini is definitely not a number nine batsman. So you can't. I don't think playing. See, playing five bowlers is always an aggressive move. India have been successful at that, but that was when Jadeja and Ashwin were both there. Now suddenly, both of them are not there. The tail really becomes too long, because in that case, Shardul will have to bat at say what five batsmen, one keeper. So he'll have to bat at seven. So, I don't think that is a very wise thing to do. 
So yeah. ideally, India either I mean they can play the second spinner if a spinner is fit. They can play the third fast bowler if a fast bowlers are fit. They can even play Saha. But I would want to go in with an extra batsman. Hmm. Otherwise, the tail looks really, really long. No, it does. And then, uh, do you recall any other series where you know this kind of a of an injury problem happened? That uh, a squad of seventeen, eighteen strong, we are struggling to put in eleven. Uh, do you recall anything similar anywhere? <laughs> uh, for India, what immediately comes to mind is the two thousand eleven tour of England. So Zaheer uh, walked out. Uh, Zaheer walked out with an injury during the Lord's Test. Gambhir got injured. Yuvraj got injured. So uh, that was a that was that one immediately comes to mind. And um, the simultaneously with the India Australia series, Sri Lanka were playing South Africa, and they also picked up several injuries. But um, uh, in pa in past, I can recall two series not involving India. See, when West Indies toured South Africa in 1999, uh, I have got the list. Walsh twisted an ankle. Ambrose had needed to have a toenail removed. Hooper, Dylan, and Junior Murray had food poisoning, and Ramnarayan had a shoulder niggle. But and ahead of the tour, Jimmy Adams was traveling in a flight, and he sliced a tendon in his little finger. Of, uh, in the little finger of his left hand while trying to cut open a bread roll. That too with a plastic spoon and he was ruled out of the series. Oh. So that was, but but the one they really joke about was the 94-95 Ashes of England toward Australia. I mean that became a topic of jokes. So the list ran like this. Darren Goff broke a foot. Hick had a slip disc. Martin McKeg had a stress fracture of the shin. Um, Craig White and I think Sean O'Dal tore uh, side muscles. Alex Stewart broke an index finger. Uh, Devon Malcolm had chicken pox. Joey Benjamin also had chicken pox, but they diagnosed it initially as shingles. Atherton had a back injury. Thorpe an adductor muscle injury. Defratus injured his groin and hamstring. And John Crawley had uh, pulled a calf muscle. And who was supposed to get them fit? The physio. Even the physio broke a finger in the fielding practice session. Wow. So that was how it worked. So okay. only four cricketers were available for all 16 matches on the tour. And that included Booch, who was 41, and Catty, uh, <laughs> who was 37, the senior man. Yeah. No, that way I think uh, this is very so comforting. That is, yeah, yeah. That, is, that is difficult, difficult to emulate. No, absolutely. If any Indian fan, you know. I think should take comfort. It's not as bad. Yeah. It could always be worse. So, so again, uh, Brisbane. Uh, what's the history for India in Brisbane? Again, that's a place uh, traditionally has uh, supported quick bowling. I remember uh, 91, 92 when Azruddin led India. They lost the first test. Uh, it used to start in Brisbane, then yes. move on. So, has it been a good hunting ground for India or any uh, Asian teams? Uh, uh, enlighten no, us. No, no, no. Uh, in India have not uh, done well in Brisbane. I mean, uh, but uh, see, to be honest, you can't uh, blame India alone because no touring side has done well in Brisbane. They yeah. call it the Gabato at this base because and they Australia the traditionally start their yeah. 
Australia, no, they use the word gabatoir this day. Okay. So what they do is uh, they start the home series at Brisbane and try to put the opposition under as much pressure as possible because they have a tremendous record at Brisbane. I think with a what 50 test cutoff, no side has won as many test matches at one single venue. I think Australia have won 40 tests in Brisbane and lost eight. Not won most matches, but uh, I, I, what I meant was have a better win-loss ratio at a single venue than Australia at Brisbane. Oh. So they just don't lose here. I think and, the only time uh, India didn't lose was uh, when Ganguly scored that 100 uh, in 2003, right? That's the match we drew. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I think a couple of defeats, uh, a couple of defeats are worth a mention. See, in 2014-15, you remember Shikhar Dhawan was hit on the wrist. He retired her. Then he came back to score 81. Australia needed 128, but uh, see, India had only Ishant and Umish. Ishant took three wickets. Umish took two. There was a run out. India, so India got six wickets in all. Yeah, but I remember only that. 128 and. Yeah, if they had a Bumrah or a Shami, India might have won that one. It would have been a famous win, but India just did not have that third quality fast bowler. Yeah, that's the match Murli Vijay top uh, scored 2000s, with 144, right? Yes, yes. So I, I think I think this match is not much talked about. The other match India came really close to winning was in 1967-68. So um, this is the match they call they. I mean, this is the Jaisima match. So, Jaisima was caught, called up at the last moment. He arrived at Brisbane with a couple of hours, a few hours before, a few <laughs> hours left for the match. He was called upon. So, Australia batted and Jaisima did not have any, get any time to rest, almost no time to rest before the match started and India fielded. So, Australia got 379. India became 9 for 3. And then they recovered to score 279. Jaisima got 74. So, uh, then they needed to chase... uh, Finally, they needed to chase 395. And India became 61 for 3. And Jaisima this time scored 100. And Jaisima and Borde took the score to 310 for 5. I don't know. I still don't know. This was the last day of a test match. And Jaisima was still battling jet lag. Hmm. At one point, India needed just 85 with five wickets in hand. There was time in hand. So, India could have won this one. But the last four batsmen scored 2, 4, 0 and 1. And even then, in with with this tail, not, not particularly a tail because it had Nathkarni. And uh, even then, Jaisima helped India add another 45 for the last four wickets. So, this was probably the great one of the greatest fourth innings efforts by an Indian in Australia. And then the 2003-04 series, the only time India did not lose. So, this one was, this one, as they say, set the tone for the series. But to be fair, uh, India did not have, I mean, the test, the Australia did not have their best bowling attack. So, yeah, I mean, while this was, a, I mean, there was no Magra, there was no Vaughan, and uh, the only 25 wickets fell in the test match. So, yeah, this was a famous 
very say a famous drop mostly because india have never ever managed to avoid defeat in brisbane but this was also not also not as challenging as we think yeah there was also the famous match right where ganguly had gone and practiced with i think uh, and met chapel they worked together and then the rest is history i think uh, that's yeah. that match uh So let's talk about some of the other things that happened in this match. Uh, I can start with the again Twitter's on fire with Steve Smith, you know, shadow batting during drinks, and uh, I know you also say it's case closed. A lot of people have said to not make anything out of it, but uh, still fans are discussing. Uh, do you want to spend two minutes on it, and how do you see that, and why does this kind of thing get uh, people riled up on both sides so much? <laughs> I don't know really. I think if you ask me, it's a non-issue. I'm surprised it's being considered important enough to create a fuss. In fact, if, see, if it's illegal, it's illegal, and they get penalized. If he has broken the law, the penalty is known beforehand, and ICC will dock demerit points or fine him or anything. If they don't break the law, they don't <clears throat> they don't get penalized. See, this has been one of the greatest days cricket in all Test match history. The English media has ensured any cricket follower with internet access knows about Atherton's 185. They would have scrambled to write books on this match series had England saved a Test match. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, compare that with the Indian fans. They are stuck on Smiths, the Smiths, whatever, scruffing the pitch. I mean, the the. magnitude of the indian batting effort is being forgotten because of this incident or tin paint sledging i really don't know i mean certain uh, i i believe the priorities of the indian cricket fans do not match mine this has been i, I mean this has been uh, at some point of time they will be they will realize how significant a day's cricket they have witnessed and how insignificant the smith or the pain incidents are compared to that effort so i guess that will take time no you're right i mean sometimes you know the actual uh, actual skill and actual achievement uh, gets lost uh, when this kind of uh, this kind of topics you know uh, come to the front i'm not saying they are non topics because i think fans are emotional but i just wanted to uh, spend a little bit on these but what again is also for smith's point of view he, this uh, test match signaled his back in form for runs and he scored he looked like the smith of old again you know he only had two bad test matches so how does that sit well for australia because all of a sudden they look like a complete batting unit you know i don't know if will pukovsky is going to be starting brisbane but uh, this time they look like with vanas labashain and pukovsky they look like a batting unit that could you know hold serve in home conditions and scores smith is the you know the most important part of that uh, batting unit so talk about smith and uh, what does this mean for brisbane for indian bowlers and especially if you are feeling like siraj is going to be the leading leading this attack i mean that's clearly advantage australia i think yeah the first test he was in on the bench the second test he was the third fast bowler third seamer he came on as the fifth bowler in the second test he was the number 2 bowler and now he is the number 1 bowler so that has been his rise from a bench to the first, to the spearhead of the attack but uh, coming back to smith see uh, smith finding form is always going to be a matter of time you can't keep him out of action for long ashwin did really well against him in the series 
Ashwin has done really well against him, but Smith was always likely to bounce back. I actually like uh, watching Smith's pile-up runs. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that he's the second greatest batsman in the history of Test cricket. I mean, the numbers are there to see. Smith has got runs almost everywhere other than Bangladesh. He has rarely had one bad series. That is another important thing. He has inevitably left a mark in every series since he moved up the order. That sandpaper series was one aberration. But other than that, he has generally delivered. The only, I mean, the last Australian summer, he was not at his best. But even then, he didn't. He wasn't actually failing by other batsmen's standards. He was failing by his standards. There's something else as well. Um, I actually love the way he gets his runs. But for long, cricketers, I mean, cricket fans have been blindly following, almost worshipping the MCC coaching manual and defining. They've been defining technique accordingly. The time to move on from the manual was long overdue because. The manual was written, I mean, the MCC manual, coaching manual was written ages ago. There have been man modifications, but not enough to uh, remain updated, stay updated with what is it right now. Um, see, reverse swing has arrived. The, num the number of innovative shots, uh, the number of innovative shots has increased. See, earlier, you would say a Yorker would be very difficult to keep out. Yorkers at the in the death overs eventually, I mean, uh, were, were possibly the best method to keep runs down. And now they just slide a bat under the Yorker. I don't know how they do that, but they do that. So, batting has been revolutionized. And now, the only it was only a matter of time before someone did that in test cricket as well. And now Smith has, with his technique, he has modified everything, his entire approach, leaving the ball, stroke play, his shuffles. He has as good as thrown the manual out of his window and devised his own technique and has demonstrated that his technique works. I am sure that decades later... Yeah, tell me. No, sorry, I'm just curious. What part of Smith's genius sometimes you think gets lost to a fan? Because like you said about the batting manual, he may not be as easy on the eye as a De Villiers or a Kohli or, you know, some of the classical, you know, batsmen. But he, I mean, his hand-eye coordination is second to none. And when he gets into these periods, it looks like he won't get out. He won't miss a ball. Again, I haven't watched much of Smith like an expert, but I think he also has an insane ability to bat with the tail, which I've seen a couple of times again in the Ashes and yeah. in this test. So, talk about some of the things that maybe a naked eye or a casual fan misses. Uh, you know, when we're talking about the genius no. of Smith. No, see, forget everything. It's a way Smith, Smith leaves the ball. So, you are instructed to let the ball go and hold the bat above your... I'm talking from right-handers' perspective. Yeah, let the ball go, stay, I mean, face towards... I mean, keep your eyes on the ball, of course, but face towards the offside. Smith actually... I don't know how to explain this without a video. Smith rotates his, rotates both hands and finishes it, finishes with the bat above his head. So to probably to maximize the distance between the bat and the ball. I don't know why he does that, but it works. It always works. He shuffles. 
he can he places the ball where he wants to and he does that consistently you get the feeling that he'll get out at some point but he just doesn't the other thing i mean he plays random cross batted shots i mean uh, any most coaches would have shuddered if their student had tried to play anything like that and he the thing is he gets away with everything not not just gets away he calculated he places the ball wherever he wants to and he scores quickly so he has developed his own method i think Dick, uh, he it's very difficult to explain without a video i don't even know how to do that without i mean I, I think decades later there will be someone will write a dissertation on how Smith challenged an entire system of batting and developed a new branch in the science of batting, and he succeeded. So, no, you know, people have done this in limited overs cricket, in uh, especially in T20s, but in Test cricket, for someone to do that and do that with such success, I mean, I think it's unprecedented. I know Bradman's pulls and everything were. Not exactly copybook, but they were not as radically different as Smith's. From uh, they, he he did not as radically deviate from the coaching manual as manual as Smith did. Hmm. Interesting. No, I think this is again a very fascinating topic. So that brings me to again a very common question that's uh, discussed between cricket fans, and I'm more of an older generation because I'm in my you know early forties, uh, but I've heard this. Uh, and I've come to terms with it a little bit. Do you agree this is uh, one of the toughest eras to bat in? Because a lot of time the conventional wisdom was, oh, uncovered pitches and, you know, bigger grounds and lighter bats and, you know, uh, it, you know, past was always glorified. But uh, if you look at the stats, I think with, with fit bowling attacks, they are not weak links, as Manga wrote in that uh, wonderful piece. Uh, so do you think this is what Smith and Kohli are doing? You think... Uh, you know, there should be some inflation because they are doing it in one of the toughest areas to score runs. Yes, yes. First of all, regarding uncovered pitches, if it didn't rain, it is the same as, almost, almost the same as a covered pitch. So, the only difference happened when it rained. And uh, so, we should not elevate, and uh, I mean, we should not adjust for uncovered pitches to the extent we think we should, we do. Uh, the next thing is, I think uh, I think we can say that if, if uh, the quality of I mean the quality of bats has improved, so has the quality of fielding. Maybe slip fielding and wicket keeping has remained the same across years, but bowlers are using far more sophisticated device to track batsmen's weaknesses. The analysts are have been doing a fantastic job, and the batsmen really who have played in front of a video camera have no place to hide, even if the bowler has never seen him. So yeah, that is another thing. Now uh, regarding whether this is one of the better eras of cricket, of course it is. See, it started with 2018. In 2018, the overall bowling average was. 27. I think that was the best year for bowlers since 1959, I think. I'm talking from memory, but I don't think, I'm, I'm more or less certain of this. It was the best 
year for bowlers since 1959. The bowling averages by year, if you plot them, it has taken a steady dip since roughly the middle of the 2010s. You do not have a weak bowling attack around the world anymore, especially not in the top six teams. All of them, all of them are capable of running through a side on a given day. So earlier, there used to be three or four strong bowling attacks, but right now the count has gone up. That is one thing. The other is, these bowling attacks have more depth. So the Australian attack, for example, if we consider the bowlers, Hazelwood is the third best fast bowler. And if and he's also probably the fourth best bowler, and he has over 200 wickets and at a phenomenal average. So if that is the depth of an average, the Indian full strength attack, is Ishan, Shami, Bomra, Ashwin, Jadeja trying to find a way, Umesh Yadav is, Umesh is one of the best bowlers in the world over the past two, three years, especially at home. So this is the depth of the Indian attack. Then you have England, where do you fit in? You, if you pick Anderson and Broad, you pick Archer and Vokes, you just don't, you can play at most one spinner. Otherwise, you have to leave out probably one of Anderson and Broad when you tour India. South Africa, South Africa winning test matches comfortably without Rabada. They have lost Stain, they have lost Mortal, they have lost Philander, they have lost Abbott to uh, Kolpak. He'll be coming, he has come back. But now, even Ngidi and Nortia, Rabada is injured, Ngidi and Nortia are winning the test matches. They, and they have now got Sepamla. So they keep providing. Every every side and and I've not even mentioned New Zealand. New Zealand have a four-pronged bowling attack as strong as any in the world. Yep. Sri Lanka have won a test series in South Africa. Sri Lanka have won a I, I think a couple of years before that, Sri Lanka won a test series in the UAE, which no side had done since Australia in 19, in 2002. So yeah, you saw when they had a slightly favorable pitch at Eden Gardens, Lakmal ran through the Indian side. In one session, any side in the world, any bowling attack in the world is capable of running through a side. So yeah, it's a team like it's a team like that. In fact, Pakistan, who used to be a powerhouse of fast bowling, is right now one of the weaker sides uh, in terms of fast bowling. They have their fast bowlers, but some of them are uh, say Naseem Shah, Shaheen Afridi, Sheikh Shah Afridi, and Hasnain. They are young. In two, three years' time, Abbas is slightly losing form, but in two, three years' time, they too will become a formidable attack and they they will join the free again. So, yeah, you can't really pick, and West Indies, of course. Uh, Roach, Gabriel, uh, Joseph, and Holder, they bowled out England for less than 100, less than 100 a couple of years back. Ireland bowled out England at Lords uh, last year for what, 63? So, uh, the Afghan bowlers, who won a test match on Bangladesh soil. Their second, uh, I mean, every team has a bowling attack to win test matches, to take 20 wickets, even if it's overseas. So, yeah, I mean, no, I no, don't you, think... You, you, no, you said something really important about, you know, the, the technology and the analysis that's available to coaching staff and bowling staff. And a classic example is what Pat Cummins said after the Sydney, I think, test that they were bowling different lines to Pujara and the field they set for him because he's also play, he, his method is different. He doesn't take any risks and he's, you know, just uh, looking for, you know, a bowler to make an error. And they 
you know, it was a it was a beautiful war of attrition between the two sides. They were not giving him margin, and they, they were testing his patience. But that's what I think. That's what the that's the kind of homework the Australian bowling unit did. And Pajara now looks like he's back in the series after scoring 123 runs in this test. But uh, he had to earn every single run, and that's coming from a world class attack who's been well coached and well tutored on what lines to bowl all day long. Yeah, and uh, yeah, see, Puja, this method has brought Pujara runs by the hundreds two years ago, and it is getting him runs. He missed out on two test matches and dedicated in Melbourne. It is getting him runs again. So this method certainly works for him, at least in Australia. I know there have been uh, criticism. There has been criticism of his strike rate, of of the pace at which he bats in test matches. See, I have firmly believed that to win matches consistently, you have to take 20 wickets. For that, the bowlers need time. And to give the bowlers time, you have to score quickly. But that is not globally true. To become a one uh, number one side, you have to bat, score runs quickly. But that does not hold true when you have a long tail, when you have four world-class bowlers coming at you, leaving you no respite. And... There's no Kohli. Uh, you know, I mean, you are the main batsman of the side. One school of thought will tell you to take charge. One school of thoughts will tell you to preserve your wicket. Basically, Pujara knows what he is doing. This has this has brought him success only two years ago. It is it it is a tried and tested method for him. And I mean, you may keep testing his patience, but he will not give anything away. You have to provide that one unplayable ball to get him. And until you do that, you're not going to get past him. So, but having said that, I also strongly advocate the case of aggressive batting, quick run scoring, running aggressive, running singles aggressively once India uh, regain uh, their full strength side. Against England at home, they have to drive. Every, they have to drive the side to victory every time, and for that they need quick bat, quick scoring. Yeah, I, 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 but I am sure Pujara is good enough to adjust to that. I am sure. I mean, he has done that before. His second fifty is always quicker than the first one. After hundred, almost always accelerates. So yeah, I mean, I don't think India see. Here, another thing was he was number three and India have had three opening pairs in the three test matches. So, everything, uh, Rahane is batting at a different So, everything is changing around him. The tail has become longer. India played five bowlers. The opening pair has kept changing. There's no Kohli. The man next to him is Rahane, who is essentially the last experienced specialist batsman. So, he is the only constant. His position hasn't altered. He has been the same. He knows he what he is doing and what the team expects of him, and he's been doing exactly that. Hmm. All right. So that brings uh, to the almost the conclusion of the episode, and it's a perfect segue of you said when everyone is healthy. Looks like the top, uh, the opening, uh, is a three-way race between Mike Agarwal, Rohit Sharma is I think the constant, or you know what Indian management wants. They backed him up after quarantine and he had a great test match here. And uh, then there is also Prithvi Shaw. So, how do you see, you know, the next few series for India with, with, the, with the bench 
uh, depth we have almost at every uh, order of batting, be it the top order, the middle order, or even the lower middle order. So talk about the trifecta of Sharma, Agarwal and Shaw. How do you see this play out in the next few series? See, Rohit Sharma and Mayank Agarwal have done really... The next series is against England at home and Rohit Sharma and Mayank Agarwal have done really well as a pair at home. I don't think they are going to change that. But now Shubman Gill has arrived. How do you... Uh, yeah, I know I, I, I know. I missed something in my question. Yeah, score. So Shubman Gill ahead of Prithvi Shaw already. Uh, at least going by these two tests. Yeah. How do you adjust? Yeah. Yeah, so... So I think it has been over two years. Prithvi Shaw arrived, so they hailed him as the next big thing. Then Mayank Agarwal had to be flown out mid-tour, and he found instant success. So Mayank Agarwal became the next thing. Now it's Shubman Gill. And Rohit Sharma has been, I mean, he has been unable to find a place in the middle order. He moved to the top and he has got runs. And he has looked decent at, uh, at Sydney. So now India have four men who can open batting. Remember, KL Rahul is not even being named here. So this is the depth of the Indian middle order. Pujara, Kohli and Kahane, Indian, 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 opening, Indian opening slots. So the there are five openers in, I mean, there are five openers in consideration. And now, let us, I mean, none of them can be pushed down to the middle order because there's no place in the middle order. Here, Pujara, Kohli and Rahane. And now at six, there's a fight between Vihari and Pant. Because at India, because at home, India are likely to play five bowlers. So there's a five, even if India play a sixth batsman, it has to be one of Bihari and Pant. An opener cannot slide down the order. The bowlers, Kuldeep Yadav is already sitting out. Fast bowlers, there seems to be an unending supply chain of fast bowlers. I don't think any Indian side ever had an, a reserve bench this strong. They, I mean, if you lose two openers, two more come up. If you lose three fast bowlers, three more come up. I, I don't know. I mean, this has to be the greatest Indian side of all time. Wow. So, definitely the, uh, the number uh, and, and the bench depth, uh, you know, agrees with you that there's a lot of options. And even when the chips are down, you know, this team is not only competitive, it's uh, showing a lot of fight. So, before we wrap this up, uh, Abhishek, uh, uh, what will India have to do? to draw another match in Brisbane, you know, with the history you provided early in the show. That has been Australia's, uh, you know, one of preferred venues. So, what does have to go India's way, starting from toss and, you know, uh, give out some scenarios before, or even a prediction, if you're comfortable. <laughs> uh, this is going to be the, I think, the weakest Indian side for some time. They don't have uh, none of the fast bowler, none of the experienced fast bowlers will be there. I don't. If Ashwin isn't there, then the spinner will be. Then the lone spinner will be six tests old, and the wicketkeeper is still not sorted. India are uh, about to lose a middle order batsman. There's no Kohli, of course. So this is going to be one of the weakest Indian sides in recent history. But uh, that did not let it let them down in Sydney. So 
yeah i mean if they i, I would say australia are favorites i know after the fight back on the last day at sydney anything seems possible it's, it feels that this indian side can do anything but once that euphoria that adrenaline come, comes down we know deep down that australia are going to be favorites for this test at brisbane india will have to do really well to beat them uh, you don't see many draws in sydney and brisbane but the, unless it rains of course uh, but then i mean in the, you don't see many draws anywhere in australia under under australian in sydney of course but yeah and if india have saved the match australia will go into the test match as favorites they have the stronger side smith as uh, smith has as you see come back to form labushain has started getting runs and the bowling unit has been delivering lions form remains a concern i think if indian spinners had bowled as ordinary i mean has not picked wickets the way lion has failed to they would have been criticized by now even if it was over even if it was it was an australian side lion has been the weak link in the australian attack but now he'll also be raring to have a go i i think australia are a very strong bowling attack and now the batsmen are coming back to form so right. yeah australia will be really tough to beat i don't know india have to pull off something really really special to retain the border gavaskar trophy yeah let's uh, let's see what uh, rahane and his men do in in the span of two days uh, thanks for the wonderful insights i enjoyed the conversation hopefully uh, the f- uh, listeners will love every minute of it and uh, hopefully we can have you back on the show yeah thank you <laughs>